Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter number 11. I, I tell you something, I started looking at prayer. I, I started talking about it last week, and, uh, you know, I told you guys, I want to be in prayer for this church. And you say, well, we are in prayer. Oh, we, are, we have our prayer list. We have all that going on. And I told you about the old preachers, and I told you about, you know, the, uh, even churches I've been in, revival meetings I've been in, people go in the back room, and they would pray together for the meeting. And... Uh, People get touched, and they don't even know why, but it's because you call down God's power. It's not because you had an amazing light show or a good slideshow or anything or, or just great music. It's because God was in it, and God touches hearts. I've been, in, I've been in meetings before where the guest preacher got up with his wife, and they sang a song, and we didn't even make it to the preaching. It was already an altar call. Because God gets in it. He touches hearts. And uh, we didn't even get to hear him preach that night. It's like, you know, I think we just need to have an altar call right now. So in, in Luke chapter number 11, we have what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, other preachers I know, they'll call it the Disciples' Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is at the end when he's praying for, uh, at the end of John, when he's praying for his disciples and praying for his people. But it says in uh, verse number one, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. It's a funny thing about prayer. You know, we, we automatically think, and I had my bust-in question for you, is, is everybody's prayer life exactly where they want it? Are you right where you want to be with your prayer life? Do you think you just couldn't do any better with it? See, it's, it's one of those things when you get saved and when you see someone get saved, you know, it's, you think you're born with the ability to pray, that, that it just comes natural to you. The problem is we got this flesh and the flesh fights against us every minute. This has probably never, ever happened to any of y'all, but you bow your head to pray and you start to nod off. You bow your head to pray. Oh my goodness, the eggs are about to finish. <laughs> or the cake. Or, or I, I feel a sudden urge to cook a brisket. I don't know. You know, it, it'll get in there. And it takes some work. And I don't mean that your relationship, well, your, any relationship takes work, Amen. You have to set aside time with your wife. You have to set aside time with your husband or else you'll just go through life and want to be in one side of the house, want to be in the other side of the house, and never the twain shall meet. Except maybe in church on Sunday. I don't know. But it's a relationship that you work at. And if you don't work at your relationship with God, if you don't, if you don't whip your mind into shape, you know, the Bible says be... Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or to set our mind on the things of God. When we read about those kings in the Old Testament, he's, he's told the people to seek the Lord their God. There's a verb in there. There's a seeking. There's a doing. So the disciples have watched Jesus, and, and they've been observing him, and, and they, know, they know that John taught his disciples how to pray, and they've seen Jesus pray, and they've seen the power behind him. 
And they said, they said here, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, they wait for him to finish praying. And one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And then, well, let's read through. It's just four verses. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, it may sound a little different than you're used to hearing because there's another parallel passage over in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus says the Lord's Prayer. And... uh, but we're staying here because it was, it was here in Luke where they said, teach us to pray. And I, I submit to you that this is the model prayer that Jesus gave. You know, you get a template for something, it's a guide. You know what a template is. You, you get a template, you lay it on a piece of paper, and it's a guide. Or sometimes nowadays you have a template, it's maybe a spreadsheet or something like that that you fill in and work through. And, and Jesus gave us a model for prayer. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to pray at every time in every situation, but Jesus laid out a model for prayer, and I want to look at that today. Now, when we talk about prayer, there's been a lot of books that have been written on prayer. There's uh, one guy, E.M. Bounds. Y'all ever heard of him? You ever want to read a book, read the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer. He was, he was a preacher. He was a Methodist preacher. In the last 19 years of his life, he, he was still preaching. He would, he would do revival meetings and things like that. And this was in the early 1900s. And I'm talking, he was a, he was a, cha- a Confederate chaplain during the Civil War. That's how old, how far back it goes. But in the last 19 years of his life, I think he passed away in 1913, he did, he wrote books on prayer. And two of them were published in his lifetime. But after he passed away, the publisher published nine other books on prayer. Now, you think about filling up 11 books on prayer. You know, and we we get down on our knees and... uh, you know, they have the quick prayer before supper because we're hungry. We have, we have a quick prayer for somebody, and it's like, how does somebody sit there and pray for that long? Well, it's not something you just do just because you do, but it's something that you grow into. It's something that just begins to happen because you begin praying for somebody, then you begin praying for somebody else, and you begin praying for somebody else. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us not to use vain repetition. He tells us that over in Matthew chapter 9. You know, use not, well, let's look at, let's look at Matthew chapter 9 real quick. There we go. Matthew chapter number 6, excuse me. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 5.
Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 5, he says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse number 7, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. And then he gives the uh, prayer. He says, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, back to Luke chapter number 11. So he tells us not to use vain repetition. So there's a few things to notice before we even get started in verse number 1. Just that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And this is going to be a practical message, but you ought to have a certain place to pray. It doesn't mean that you have to be in that place every time that you pray. But I've always talked about how important it is to be intentional about what you do. And I look out here and I see faces and I'm thinking, yeah, here's the young guy telling people who have been doing this their whole life, right? But I'm not just talking to you guys, I'm talking to all of us. We ought to have a place to pray, whether it's a closet, whether it's a quiet place, whatever it is. But you ought to set aside a time, and in the morning is a great time, to set aside that time to pray to God. And he, had, he was praying in a certain place. But there's also times when you, when you just pray a quick prayer. And... Uh, Jesus prayed at all points of his ministry. At the beginning, over in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when he was baptized, it said, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. The heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. And that was the anointing. Jesus was already filled with the Holy Ghost his whole life. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, 22. When Jesus was baptized, it said, uh, Jesus also being baptized and praying. He was praying at all points of his ministry. And then over in Luke chapter number 5, when he withdrew himself into the wilderness, uh, verse 16, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. What a burden Jesus must have had for everybody around him. He knew, he knew every hair on their head. He knew the problems that were going on with people all around him without even them even knowing him. All night in prayer with God the Father. But the disciples waited for him to stop praying. It's a... It's a and then they talked to him. And uh, they asked Jesus to teach him to pray. Now you can learn to pray. And we should all seek to learn to pray. 
you know, and I bring all this up because last week I was talking about praying for the church, praying for the church. I would love to. I would love to bring guest preachers in here. I'd love to have other people mix with us. I I would just love to see some hearts. God move on some hearts. You know, this morning we slipped off into the politics a little bit, and I'm not going to do it again. But what I'm going to tell you is, it doesn't matter what day and age you live in, and it doesn't matter what's going on outside, God still moves on hearts. God still has people that he will lead to his son. And it's a matter of whether he'll let us lead them or not. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? It doesn't matter what you think is going on in the world. You know, every age, I've, I've become the old man now on the porch. Man, back in my day, well, back in my day was the 80s when everybody was saying back in my day. <laughs> you know, and back in their day was the 60s when everybody was saying back in their day. You know, it doesn't matter what the day and age is. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still in the saving business. So he says, teach them to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, there's three things I want to look at today. Because you could preach all kinds of sermons on this. And you could look at all kinds of different things. But I just want to look at three things out of this today. I want to look at when he, when he begins praying, there's gratitude. Expressing gratitude and praise. There's gratitude given, requests being made, and deliverance being asked for as we look at this today. Let's pray. Amen. So he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It's an attitude of gratitude. I hate to be catchy phrase, but it just happened. It's, it's gratitude. It's position and praise. He says, our Father. You know what a privilege it is we have to call God, the God, the creator of this universe, the one that created all the microbes, all the cells, the one that created us, the one who's in control of everything, the one who in the end of the book wins. Amen. You know what a privilege it is to be able to call him our Father. Over in uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And don't get your feelings hurt when it says sons. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about women. It's talking about men. It's talking about all of us, that we get to become children of God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have that privilege and to be able to say, our Father. We don't have to look up at a distant God. We don't, have to, we don't have to look up at a God that's not touched with the feelings of our infirmity. But we're able to pray, our Father, which art in heaven. His position. And then praise. Look over in First uh, Chronicles chapter 29. I want to look at an old prayer. And you go back and you look at the Old Testament saints and there's a... There's different prayers that they prayed, and man, they were powerful. But David had lived his life, and if I can get to it, David had lived his life all the way through, and he was facing the end of his life. And uh, 
First Chronicles chapter 29. I just want to throw myself across the room. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 10. It said, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth in the earth is thine thine is the kingdom o lord and thou art exalted as head above all both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all and thine hand is power and might and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all now therefore our god we thank thee and praise thy glorious name you know when we when we praise god it reminds us who we're talking to. You know, God knows who he is. God knows what he's done. But we need to acknowledge who he is and what he's done. And when you begin to praise God and you begin to thank him for what he's done in your life and the power that you've seen him exhibit, you begin to realize and you begin to remember. There's so many times we could take for granted our God. We just want to get to the meat and potatoes, right? We just want to get to the meal set before us. We just want to get to the prayer request. Lord, I need a new car. Lord, I, I'll take a used car. Lord, I, I need this. I need that. But when you start off your prayer and you're praising God and you're saying, Lord, you've been good to me. Lord, just thank you so much for your power. Thank you so much that I can turn to you and that I can trust you to help me get through this. God, I remember that time when I was in that bind. I remember that time when, when it just seemed like everything was falling apart. I remember a time, I, I tell you, I remember a time, and I'll never forget it. I had, I had lost my job, and I was losing my house, and I was sitting there in that empty house, and I was going to have to turn it over. I had all the furniture out, but I was... Well, now the furniture was still there, but I, I had tried working. I couldn't make enough money to keep my house. And I'm, and I'm there praying, and I said, Lord, I just, I just need to hear from you. And this is going to sound stupid now. But as I said that, I said, Lord, I just need to hear from you. I just need something. <laughs> my phone rang. And it's a silly thing, you know. But I tell you, I was afraid to answer the phone then. <laughs> I answered the phone, and it was a guy in Minnesota wanting to talk to me about a job. I don't think that was a job for me. The Lord didn't move me to take it, but, you know, I knew in that instant, that handful of purpose, I knew God was in control. Because right at that moment, you know, there was, there was the opportunity, there was the chance, or there was, I, I realized later, that was God letting me know, I'm here, I'm here. And he'll speak to you on your level. He'll speak to you with what you need. It doesn't mean your phone's going to ring. It doesn't mean this is going to happen. But God will give you those handfuls of purpose. And when we start off our prayers with praise and remembering what God's done for us, when you before you begin to make your request, you're going to know that because he's done it before, he's able to do it again. 
you're going to start to remember those things that God, those prayers that God has fulfilled, and you're going to realize he can get me through this too. He can carry me through this. David looks back. He says, wherefore, bless the Lord before all the congregation. David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Just think about the David that stood before Goliath and had that victory. Just think about David who fought in battles. Just think about David who was hunted down by Saul. Just think about David who was forgiven by God in his great sin. Just think about David who cries out to God and he knows in his heart that God is the victory. That God is the power and God is the might and that God is in control. All the deliverance in times past, all throughout the Old Testament, we see the Israelites praising God for their deliverance from Egypt. I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of Egypt. They look back and they were in bondage. 400 years in captivity, they're about, give or take. And they used Moses, 12 plagues. They were stuck. They were slaves. They were in bondage without a single war, without a single spear on their side, without any battle or anything. They walked away from the Egyptians, but they didn't just walk away. They spoiled the Egyptians. In other words, the Egyptians said, here, here, take this, take this gold, take this. Just go, go, be gone, (laughs) be gone with you. And then when they were stuck on the Red Sea, They look back, they see, they see Pharaoh, they look forward, they see the Red Sea, and there they were in that impossible situation. I am the Lord thy God that brought you out of Egypt. That means something. You know, and in some way we've all been in Egypt because Egypt is a type of the world. When you look in the Bible and you just see it as types, I hope I don't lose too many of you on this, but, you know, coming out of Egypt is like getting saved. You were you were in bondage to sin. You were a slave to sin and God delivered you. So praising God, his position, is our father, praising him for what he's done and recognizing his power and where he is. He says, back to Luke chapter 11, And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Praying for God's will to be done in your life, and praying, even so, Lord, come. You know, cities are burning. People are taking charge. People are taking power that they don't need to have. Anything that's going on, we get closer and closer to that day. Even so, Lord, come, Even all the things that have to be gone through, the tribulation and all that, for those that are going to be here, I'm saved, I'm going up. But if we, even so, Lord, come. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. And then making a request. So the request for God's will to be done, God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. And God's provision. He said, give us day by day our daily bread. He painted that picture with the Israelites in the wilderness when he gave them the manna from heaven. That manna came down from heaven and it was uh, as a a dew, as a 
just a little piece of bread like. And they would go out in the morning and they would collect it. And they would get it for six days and they would collect it each day. But if they tried to keep it overnight, they'd wake up in the morning and the worms had eaten it up. It wasn't enough for tomorrow. It didn't matter how much they took or how little they took. They had enough to eat. But if they tried to hoard it, it wasn't good enough for tomorrow. Let me tell you, you got to have a relationship with God today. Now, now get me straight on this because I know people mix it up. When you're saved, you're going to heaven. That's your standing. You're a child of God. That's your standing. But your state changes. And when you were high on the mountain three weeks ago, that's not enough for you today. You got to have your relationship with God. You got to have your fellowship with God today. You got to build it up each and every day. You can't coast along and say, well, 20 years, this is my retirement. I've gone to church my whole life. I think I can back off now. I know he always gets down to attendance, don't he? I, I, I've done this my whole life. I've read my Bible through three times, four times, whatever, however many times. I can retire now. That's not how it works. You've got to have that manna for today. That manna is laid out fresh every day, and you've got to have it for today. You have to have your relationship. He said, give us day by day our daily bread. It's not just the picture of the manna, but it's also the picture of God's provision. We see time and again in the Old Testament where God provided for his people, where God provided for the prophet Elijah, and he was there with the widow of Zarephath. God told him to go there, and that's where he was supposed to go. And and, and he says, he goes to the widow, and there's a famine in the land, and he says, what are you doing? She says, "Uh, I only have a little cruise of oil and flour. I'm gathering sticks for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Because that was going to be their last meal. The preacher said, give me some first. And God provided the cruise of oil and the flour never failed the whole time Elijah was with him. God provides. It's a picture of how God provides for us. You know, it doesn't, sometimes we get abundant. It depends on what we can handle. I guess I can't handle very much. But it, it's a picture of what we can handle. And then day by day, God's provision, God's provision. So it's not just a spiritual provision, it's a physical provision. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And then, and forgive us our sins. Amen. Daily. I don't know a person here. I don't know anybody in this world except Jesus Christ that walked without sin. Even after you're saved, if you say, well, I hadn't sinned since I got saved, you're a fool. You're fooling yourself. You're ignoring something that's gone on in your life. You're ignoring something that slipped past your lips. You're ignoring some anger that you have towards someone. You're ignoring something that happened in your life. Those moments when you didn't put God first, when you put yourself first, because the flesh is still here. You have to live with the flesh. I know I've said that over and over again, but I want you to understand it so you can fight it. But he says, forgive us our sins. First John 1, 9. If we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not sinning because you can be. Over in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, does that mean that we should sin more, that uh, grace should more abound? He said, God forbid. God forbid. No, that's not what it's for. 
but we should ask God for forgiveness. He said, forgive us our sins. So to be forgiven, there needs to be confession. But his confession, now, now here's something you may not realize. His confession, not only of your sins as an individual, but also of other sins. I want you to think about that a minute. Anything that you've watched in the news, people burning buildings, people, people that hate us or hate Christians or, you know, when you see that. We talk about God's forgiveness. He says, he says in verse number, uh, verse number four, and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others, basically. Prayer for forgiveness for our sins, your own sins. You think about, you're approaching the throne of God. You remember the priest in the tabernacle? Before he would make the offering for someone else, he had to make an offering for himself to cleanse himself. And then the offering was made for someone else. Do you realize that those other, pe- other people, that eat, whether they hate you or not, do you know what the problem is? It's not their hatred. Somebody that would attack you or somebody that would hurt your family or something, this is hard for me. I'm not going to tell you why. Somebody that would attack your family, somebody that would hurt you, and, and, and to have forgiveness for them, do you know why? Because the problem's not what they did. The problem is not how they act. The problem is not who they are. Do you know what the problem is? The problem's right here. And we need special eyes to see that. The, special, the, the, the problem is a problem of the heart. Do you remember not even having a conscience? We're old enough now, you look back and you remember. I don't, and maybe it's just me, but I look back and I remember people I hurt. And sometimes I wish I was standing behind myself back then. You know, I could just go stand behind myself and catch myself right in that moment. What are you thinking? <laughs> you know, it, and to understand that someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior has no idea what the difference is. I mean, I've, I've thought a little bit about this, about people, this, this eyesight that I have to be able to see what's really going on behind, behind the curtain, you know, within the heart to see they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And to have forgiveness for them. And Jesus, Jesus painted the picture for us. Jesus, Jesus set the example for us on the cross. They beat him. They spit on him. They cursed him. They tortured him. And he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Praying for others. Praying for the sins of the nation. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 9. Well, first... some reason I didn't write it. I'd like you to go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Now, Nehemiah is part of the captivity. 
Israel worshipped other gods. They turned to God. They worshipped other gods. They turned to God. And God told them through the prophets. He said, the time's going to come. And he he put them into captivity. He allowed them to go into captivity. And Nehemiah probably wasn't even born at that time. Nehemiah was already into captivity. And look what he says in verse number 6 when he's praying to God. Look at verse number 5. Well, verse number four, and that's all I'm going to back up. It says, and it came to pass when I heard these words, when he heard about the walls being torn down and the gates burned with fire, he said that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. You see his praise there? See his acknowledgement of God? He says, let, now, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. We ought to be praying for America, y'all. He says, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. You know, that's what he said there. He said, we. Nehemiah was probably being faithful to God, but he said, we, as a people, have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, There's the confession, and now he says, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. He knows God's words. He says, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, by thy great power and by thy strong hand. He said, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You read Nehemiah and you see what happened there. Look at Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 3. Daniel says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. See the praise there for God? We have sinned and we, 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 we have sinned and have committed iniquity. You know who's saying we have sinned? Daniel, who wouldn't eat the king's meat, who wouldn't put, eat the, the meat that was put before him from the king, but maintained his diet. Daniel, who was the one that God spoke through, he said, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, getting away from God's word. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. 
O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as, it, as at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed. So Daniel, in praying for him, he includes himself. We ought to include ourselves. We ought to include ourselves when we pray for our nation, when we pray for this world. But we ought to be praying for the lost too. He spelled out five sins in particular. I'm just going to hit this. He confessed their wickedness and rebellion. Their lifestyle was wicked and their hearts were rebellious. He confessed their rejection of God's holy word. Over in verse 5, they were guilty of turning away from God's commandments and law. He confessed their failure to listen to the prophets, those who had faithfully proclaimed God's message. Down through the century, the Lord's prophets have warned both the leadership and citizens of God of the coming judgment if they continue to disobey his commandments. He confessed their unfaithfulness to the Lord. He confessed their sin of being obstinate and hard-hearted against the Lord. Verse 8, and Daniel acknowledged their ingratitude, the fact that they had spurned God's mercy, rebelled against God, disobeyed God, broken God's laws and commandments. We also need to give forgiveness to others. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. In Mark eleven twenty five, he says, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, that which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. That's a hard thing to forgive sometimes. It's hard to let go of some things. But if you hang on to unforgiveness for someone else that's hurt you, it's going to hurt your prayer life. That's a hard thing to say because there's some people that are just flat mean. And it hurts, and it continues to hurt. But if you don't offer forgiveness to them, and I was going to go there, Matthew chapter 18, if you want to look at it on your own, but there's the servant who owed an amount that he couldn't pay. We're running out of time. There was a servant that owed an amount he couldn't pay. And his Lord went to him, and he was going to cast him into prison, and he fell down, and he said, Lord, please, I'll, I'll pay you all that I owe or But the Lord, his master forgave him, forgave him his debt, wiped it clean. Didn't even make a payment plan. Didn't even reduce interest. Didn't do anything. He just wiped the debt clean. And then that man that had been forgiven, the other servants saw him. And there was a man that owed him money. And he said, please forgive me and I'll I'll pay you all that I owe. And he said, no. And he cast him into prison. He had the authorities put him into prison. And the other servants that saw this went to their master and told him what had happened. He brought him up before him. And it was a smaller amount. And he said, I forgave you this debt, but you didn't forgive him that debt. Then he cast him into prison. You know, the picture is us as Christians. We've been forgiven so much. Jesus took the beating for our sins. He paid the price on the cross. He died for our sins. And I know this is a hard thing I'm saying, but if he can have forgiveness for us who trampled on the blood of God, 
We, we, we accepted Christ as our Savior. He had forgiveness for someone that didn't even know him. How much more should we have forgiveness for others? I, I want the flesh. My flesh wants to put a caveat in there. <laughs> I'm just being honest with y'all. But I'm not going to do it. I'll let you figure that out between you and the Lord. But, you know, yeah, flesh won't say, yeah, but you got to, you know, doesn't mean that you got to dive all the way in. But I don't know. The Bible just said we got to have forgiveness. Doesn't say about the rest. I was listening to my preacher on the way in, Brother Peacock. He told a story about Billy Sunday. He said a man can't, you know, Billy Sunday, revival meeting preacher. In the early 1900s, he was a baseball player. He was in shape. You know, he preached so hard he had to get rubbed down after, after sermons because he, he, man, he, he would get that leg up there. <laughs> he, was, he was an athlete. And a man came up to him after a service one time and just punched him on one side of the head. Just outright punched him. Billy looked at him and said, Bible says you got to turn the other cheek. I don't know. I, I don't have a firsthand resource. I heard my preacher this morning. He said I, he turned the other cheek, and the man wafted him upside that cheek, and then Billy Sunday wiped the floor with him. They said, well, well you, what about what the Bible said? He said, well, it told me I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. He didn't say anything about what I'm supposed to do after that. <laughs> so whether it's true or not, it's a funny story. But you got to have forgiveness. He said, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the last thing, you make your request, pray for protection. Because the devil roams about as a roaring lion. Pray for protection. You know, I always pray the Lord build up a hedge around us. When I'm praying for somebody that I'm worried about, I say, Lord, please build up a hedge around them. Because I know how tender a young Christian can be. Lord, build up a hedge around them. Because I don't want to see anybody go off and do a tailspin like I talked about in an earlier sermon. A hedge to be built. A hedge built up. And I know this isn't in this verse, but I want to talk about it. A hedge protects. When we see a hedge built up, it's for protection or to pin someone in. And when God takes away the hedge, he's taken away his protection. Over in Isaiah 5, 5, it says, And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And he's talking about Israel. In Ezekiel 13, 5, he says, You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Matthew 21, 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. So pray for deliverance from evil. Ask God to build up a hedge of protection. You know, this morning, the, the, it was a little bit rough, at least on my end, this Sunday school this morning. But... You know, the fact is, when Asa had rest, it was because God had given him rest in order to grow. And sometimes you need a hedge built up around. You need that hedge of protection so that you can grow. Somebody who's getting a one-two punch and doesn't have a chance to recover, doesn't have a chance to build up their relationship with God. Do you follow me on that? 
from temptation and evil. James 1.13 said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Luke 22.40, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray ye that ye enter not into temptation. That was the Garden of Gethsemane. 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. There's usually a fork in the road when you come to temptation. Now, when we talk about Bible temptation, we're talking about two different kinds at the same time. We're talking about the kind of temptation that, that draws your eyes away, the lust, or, or something that makes you want to do something that's against God. And we're also talking about the other temptation. It's kind of a trial that you go through. It's kind of a testing that you go through. And you ask God to deliver you from those things, deliver us from evil, keep us away from evil. We ought to be relying on God for every single thing. And I'll, say, I'll finish with this. Well, I'm this and one more thing. I can't remember it now. I will in a second. In the model prayer that Jesus gave, we see an order of things. When you have a model or a template set up, you have a plan of action. A template is a guide. Not every prayer is going to have these elements. There are times when you get right to the heart of the matter as Nehemiah did. Over in Nehemiah chapter number 2, he was standing before the king and he had an opportunity. They call it the Nehemiah prayer. He just asked, Lord, help me. Because the king had asked him a question. He said, Lord, please help me. He didn't have time to go through all of that. He just, Lord, help me. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. The more that you're turning to God, the closer your relationship's getting if you're holding off until you're in that closet or you're holding off until you have this magnificent prayer to say, your relationship's not going very good. If you're holding off with your wife or your husband to just talk in the morning and say hello or just one word, two word sentences, and you're just waiting for that big meal that you go out to on Friday or something that you go to do together, if you're just waiting for that, you don't have a very good relationship, do you? There's a lot of hours in between. So don't be afraid to talk to God, but set time aside for him too. And I still don't remember what it is, so God's been merciful to you. The most important thing is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's the most important prayer that you can make. 